Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day for an interview because I'm an addict. And so is my guest today. Why the hell do you think we are so excited? You already think, what the hell? And it's very easy because our addictions have shifted and not in the typical way that I talk about it across addictions. No, both my guest and me are nowadays addicted to life. We love life. We love to grow. And it is a very beautiful path. And therefore, I'm so proud to have Greg Champion with me today. He is indeed pun intended, championing uh, the slobriety. And yes, you heard right, a very, very strange word. I love it. So, Greg, welcome. Welcome to my show. Thank you, Stefan. Uh, a delight to be here, and I can't wait for this interview. And uh, I know we're just going to have a nice little tennis match of batting uh, this ball back and forth. And Exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and I love that you have joined the, the Addicted to Life train. It's the best train to be on. And uh, and have many rewards out of being addicted to life. <laughs> and in all fairness, here I was thinking, hey, that that hook, addicted to life, uh, as an addict, that was, hey, I thought I came up with that. <laughs> Turns out <laughs> that we don't have the same. Uh, we don't only have the same hairdresser, i.e., a very aerodynamic uh, shape. Uh, we also have the same way of thinking, and that's spooky. That's spooky. We too need to do an, uh, an ancestry test or something like that. And maybe there are the same genes pulling down, <laughs> the same addiction, but also the same quirky and, and funny way of thinking about the world. <laughs> well, uh, talking about ancestry, I mean, who did you want to be when you were a young man? Um, oh what God. were your initial uh, goals? Oh, so so I, I, I spoke about this last night at, at a meeting and I said, when I was a young lad, I... I was addicted to things before before drugs and alcohol. I was addicted to attention. I was addicted to fantasy, and I was addicted to anger. And and the anger came from my my father being killed in a drunk on drunk car crash when I was four years old. Shit. And I immediately felt different. And, and, and that and I was just this angry little boy who liked to get in fights at school and little league games. The fantasy came, and who did I want to be? Well, when, in 1976, I saw this movie called Rocky. And I wanted to be Rocky. And in 1977, Star Wars came out. And I wanted to be Luke Skywalker. <laughs> and then in 1978, Stefan, this great American film known as Smokey and the Bandit came out. And I wanted to drive the black Trans Am. And, uh, and you'll have to see it. It's a very hilarious uh, romp. But that was me. I was able to literally um, go outside and play that part grab a stick and pretend like I'm Luke Skywalker, go grab a friend and get some boxing gloves on. And I just fantasize. And my last but not least, the other one was attention. I had blonde curly hair, bright blue eyes, and um, this little, you know, pretty boy. I was, a, I always brag, I was the prettiest girl on the block, you know? <laughs> and, and, and I just remember like babysitters and grandmas and women in grocery stores would always, what a, and I love that attention. And so when you say, what did I want to be when I grew up? I, I just, you know, it was almost like I wanted to be on stage. Um, and, um, and I feel like, you know, in, in many parts of my life, I am on stage. Um, 
but I, I had a long journey to get there. I had a long journey to get there, but God, fantasy was a major addiction for me as a kid. Interesting. Interesting. Same here, same films. Um, I must have been interested a little bit older because Rocky, Rocky uh, the first one probably was before things went pear-shaped in my life, um, but I, I was uh, involved in a gang assault as, a, as the victim. And mm. certainly I a lot of PTSD happened thereafter, which I repackaged into martial arts and mm. into becoming a fighter. And these, these were the times of Rocky and these were the times of lethal weapon and all the martial arts sort of uh, things. Oh, my God, I was actually living it. I was actually living it in, in my mind. Uh, when I was Van Damme, right? Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Yeah, right, yeah. Totally. All those all those kind of films. So when I was actually training, I saw myself in these situations. So my imagination was as vivid as yours. Um, but I actually focused on on the the on my body and really the fighting skills um that for a time um probably helped me a lot. It was my my way out. Um, so at that time, alcohol uh, had not yet come into my life. How was it with yours? I mean, here you were this 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 child that had his 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 needs, I guess, um, that maybe to a certain degree were not fulfilled. Um, the way you describe this fantasy, the way you describe um, your your younger person. Um, how did it continue into the teenager years? Um, when did alcohol well, the first time raise its its head? Yeah, so I mean, um, so I grew up in San Diego, which is right next to Tijuana. Um, and at that time in the early 80s, um, you could go across the border at, at 15 years old. And so I, I wanted to grow up. I wanted to drink. I wanted to, to be at the bar. I see. Um, I wanted I see. to be outlet. And so that's where my teenage years fostered was, 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 was being was being an adult at 15 years old. And, you know, so it was a lot of pot, a lot of drinking, some cocaine. And boy, I will tell you, those feelings of fantasy, anger, and attention all went away because now I had my friends. I had some things that were that were quieting that, that pain, shame, trauma, and drama, you know? And you were never gonna get my secrets because I was gonna be too high or too drunk to ever tell you my secrets. And so my teenage <laughs> years were fostered by by, by being very good in sports, uh -huh. um, being very social, you know, um, and, and and really like, where was the next party? I, I will be your wingman. Let's go. I was a great wingman. Another another um, similarity between the two of us. I was always the wingman. I had a, a, a friend, really a friend, a good guy, but he he looked like a bloody model. Honestly, oh <laughs> God, it is, and he was vain as. But together, yeah. we were we were a lethal team. Um, it, lethal in the sense of we we had fun, we had parties. We I don't think we ever were alone. Um, in 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 the sense of of male, female, or, or partners. Um, so, and it is it's it is what it is. So you basically made you created a new persona there. You actually oh. went out there with the help of your alcohol. So you, you changed. So you, you, Stefan, you know my last name is Champion. <laughs> so my nickname is Champ. So I went out with a character named Champ. And Champ was the life of the party. Uh -huh. The girls liked him. The guys uh -huh. wanted to be around him, you know. And, and I really hid behind that guy. 
for a long, long time. And what I ended up finding out both in high school and college is I was not a good friend. I was a good time. Ah, priceless. Beautiful. That's exactly it, isn't it? Because yep. he is selfish. He is. Uh... Oh. Yep. Did you have any relationships at that time? How did it work with the with the girls or with with partners? Well, yeah, no, it was. I mean, it was always short. It was always short. It was all. It was basically I was medicating using other human beings, you know. Um, but I will say I'm a very loyal soul. I have the same five best friends from the seventh grade, and and we're all in our fifties now. And and that is one thing that is is one of my values. And I know you brought value systems up early when we first got on. And, and, uh, and I, I'm big on loyalty. And so being big on loyalty, guess what really takes me out? Betrayal. Uh, I'll, I'll spin hard on betrayal. Another similarity. That is really what pisses me off uh, big time. Right? Interesting. How dare you? How dare you? Resentment. That was yes. the, the kind of the, the, the dark motive going through my middle life so to speak uh how did that why do you think where do you think that came from in your life you know i i think when you're abandoned you know when a parent leaves divorce you know abandonment or death you're abandoned and when you're abandoned you know you attach yourself to what would be pseudo families so friends, teammates, neighbors, right? And when you have those bonds, um, a lot of my, you know, I didn't have a big family. I, you know, so it was, it was my parents who were a little bit older than most parents. So I really bonded with my friends and I'm like, okay, we're going to go through this life together. Here we go. You know? And when one of them would betray me, I would just be so distraught, you know? Um, and obviously I've worked through that. I've gone to you know, I've done the work in that department, but it took me a while to realize how powerful that uh, particular uh, ailment was for a long, long time. And, and you know, I had girls who were who were not faithful and that would just totally take me out, even though I wasn't faithful. <laughs> I mean, that was a great, you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, how dare you? But, <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, I mean, you know. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, I recognize myself so much in, in your words, because yes, I loved it the way you that you medicated with other people, uh, or in this case with sex or with, mm -hmm. with relationships. A new relationship can be intoxicating just as much as the most powerful drug. And I guess that was the beautiful thing that I was hunting for. And then just as like an addict who does no longer get a rush from it. You need to get a dose up, but you can't in a relationship yeah. or you try to find a new drug, i.e. new person. Um, you're yeah, reflecting on it. Bloody hell. Um, we're going deep here, man. We're going deep because you're actually scratching off the scabs in my own life. Um, and the scars, uh, some of them might not even have healed as well as I had hoped. Um, but that's that's what that's what our life is all about. It's it's about recovery. It's about and recovery means that you that you go out there and take a long hard look into what was going on. 
and how that seven, all contributed. Seven. Sobriety is only the ticket to the show. Absolutely. It's recovery Absolutely. that we're after. Absolutely. And so what I feel that I'm going to get from you and I hope you get from me is that if, if Stefan gives me something to try out today, like, hey, Greg, try this breathing exercise or go to this meditation, or I'm going to try it because guess what? When I was drinking and using and you would say, try this, guess what? I'm trying it. Right. So why not? I do the same thing. In recovery. And so what, what I have learned in my recovery is that when someone suggested breath work eight years ago, I took it on and I'm still doing it today. When someone said, here's acupuncture, yeah. I'm still doing it today. I will try anything recovery related at least once. Cause that's mm. the same thing I did when I was, when I was addicted and, and, and an alcoholic. <laughs> Ah, that's cool. That's cool. I do the same, but uh, I, I rephrase it. Uh, I okay. actually, I actually, no, I, I want to learn. I, I numbed myself for such a long time that I was on this dread wheel of workaholic, alcoholic, workaholic, alcoholic, run, 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 like, like, ah, oh, awful, awful. And then when I went into rehab, someone pressed the pause button. And then something cruel happened because someone asked me, who are you? And I said, ah, oh, I'm, I'm a doctor. I'm a pain physician. No, no, who are you? I just told you I'm a pain physician. I could not define myself. I could not tell you who I was. I could tell you the mask and the, the uniform I was wearing. I'd put on for years, but I was an empty shell deep inside. And nowadays... I see that as a huge privilege because I was able to really go to the core, deal with some, some real, some core beliefs, do deal with some, do some hard work and then start putting you new strokes of paint onto this empty canvas. And the initial painting was, was I'm a bit like one of the really famous, all these famous painters who paint something and then said, nah, let's paint over it again. <laughs> That's the same with me in my early recovery. <laughs> I thought I'm going to be, I will be an artist now. So I'm going to learn how to weld and I'm going to do some fantastic woodwork. And yeah, I'm shit at welding. <laughs> my woodwork is <laughs> equally shit. <so laughs> God, so there you go. So, but it was. But you bring up a good point. If you and I were to get in the elevator and we had a couple go up a couple floors, right? The first question we would ask each other is what our name is. The second question two men would ask is what do you do for a living? Mm. And so we're built into what you do is who you are. And so I totally understand you hiding behind, you know, especially a doctor. Because if I'm a doctor, I'm up here. Don't you know who? Don't you know who the f I am? Uh, yeah. No, luckily I was never that arrogant. Um, okay, okay. But it is no, that that is that was luck. That was luck. Yeah, I yeah, was yeah, yeah. I was proud of my profession, but there was still a degree of humility there. Um, at least as far as my profession was concerned, in my own life. Oh, I'm the I'm. You need to respect me because I'm a man. I bring the money in. Those kind of uh, the kind of toxic masculinity from from the 80s, unfortunately, was deeply, deeply ingrained. So that was have one of the. Have you seen the documentary "The Mask You Live In"? No. Oh, this is one for you. So, okay. some American producers, females, put together a, a documentary examining the the messaging of the 70s and 80s to American men. Ah. Make a lot of money. Yeah. Be successful in sports. Exactly. Sleep with a lot of women. Right. And. and and it all went type A versus, hey, pick up a guitar, 
go go uh, go take a meditation class, mm. try a painting. And we lost a whole generation of men of just hard charging, and they're not they weren't available to their feelings. It's called the mask you live in. So what they ask you to do is take the mask off, like mm. you did, right? And tell me who you really are. It's a great, great documentary. I, I, I show it to my clients. I show yeah. it to my the people I, I, I mentor. And, and both women and men get out of it. Because when women watch it, they see that, oh, there's my son. There's mm. my father. There's my husband. And they have more understanding of males. It's a great, great uh, tool. Um, okay. Um, you just, uh, not just made me think. You made me take action. And that is perfect. That is already a good day. Um, right? Because yeah. I love it when when someone holds the mirror in front of my face and makes me think. And that is that is what you do actually very, very well. Um, but you do that very well because you have gone through actually quite some darkness in your own life. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we only we only we only learn from the hard lessons, unfortunately. And some of us have to do the same lesson uh, several times to just make yeah. sure that it is yeah. really not right to do that. I did that with alcohol. I did it with probably relationships with some of my core beliefs crying out loud. Um, so going back to you, here you were, you were uh, a young man, um, and uh, equally infected with this type A personality, with this power that that goes through your veins when you have drugs, when you have got alcohol, you become the life of the party, you said. Um, did that translate into a profession? Which profession did you take on? And was that profession, I assume, did you choose a profession that was as wet as as your your party life well i mean um so i went to college at a at a very at a big party school in, in a, here in the states called arizona state university um it, it was always listed in playboy's top 10 party schools you know, <laughs> oh, you know? well that's and, a warning sign if there ever was one <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. But, but 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 Stephen, one of the things that did have there was the walter cronkite school of broadcast journalism and, and I, I wanted to get a broadcast journalism degree. I, I wanted to be in sports, be a journalist on the sidelines, maybe a sports reporter. And, and I went there to school and, and I, I definitely went that route professionally. Hmm. Um, and, and my first job was at a TV station. They gave me the late, the overnight job, 6 p.m. to 3 a.m., you know. So <laughs> there wasn't much, there wasn't many people standing around after 11 p.m. So it was just me and the station. And, you know, I, I'm in my disease already. And um, and so I get bored. And when I get bored, I, I try to make things happen. And so even though I had this cool first job, it didn't pay much. You know, it was $19,000 a year. I was still eating Top Ramen, drinking Mountain Dew, you know. And, and that's not what the degree promised me. You promised me a nice, you know, a, an American dream. That's what they say with a college degree. And it wasn't happening for me. And this is where my shortcutism came in. And what happened was I met some lower companions late night, you know, girls you don't bring home to mom, you know, guys that are, you know, definitely you're not wanting to hang out with in a public arena. And basically I was subsidizing my, my, my job with selling pot on the side. 
And I started going down that road and I got less around being in the broadcast world and more around the, the pot dealing because the money was better. The hours were better. Right. Um, I didn't have to work so hard. And, and what happened for me, the word shame started showing up for me. And here's why. The more I was do, going down the drug dealing world, I was like, I'm going to disappoint my parents. I, I went to private schools. I, I have a college degree. How did I, how am I over here in this lane? How am I over here in this darkness? And so what I would do is I take the profits and I would medicate myself with a whole bunch of alcohol, a lot of cocaine, a lot of uh, unsavory people in my life. And I just got in this vicious cycle until it was way down the road where I could not turn it off. And what happened was over a two-year period, I got arrested eight times, eight times in two years. I got arrested for assaults and bars because I'd go in there drunk and hit somebody, a couple DUIs. Uh, Steph and I even got arrested twice in 24 hours in New Orleans. And this is how thick-headed your friend here is. I walked up to this big Irish cop and I go, listen, I know this is Mardi Gras, but I need to know the rules. He goes, don't piss in the streets and don't fight in the streets. So, my Kiwi friend, what two things do you think this guy got arrested for? Oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Pissing in the streets and uh, fighting in the streets. So, the automatic question is, yes. you were rebelling. You were, you were automatically, this was, I mean, if this was not a cry for help subconsciously, I mean, what was it? What triggered you? For example, take that Mardi Gras incident. What yeah. triggered you to do that? You know, I, I think it goes back to being wanting to be on stage. I, I huh. really thought that 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 I was a character. Like I was walking onto a, a film set in New Orleans, and this is what this is how the story was going to play out. And then then the next time it would be in Hawaii, or the next right. time it would be in like like. And I really had this <sighs> sort of character I created when when drugs and alcohol were in my system. Weird. As Robert Downey Jr. said, yeah, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm allergic to alcohol. I break out in handcuffs. Uh, you seem to be exactly that person. Um, yes. My goodness. No, I'd see. Mm, I was angry too, but somehow there was always an ingrained, a deep, deep respect for the law. Um, so, uh, which is good or bad, because as addicts, We end up in three places, like in a lump it. There are only three places for us. One is dead, the other one is in jail, or the other one is rehab. These are the three places, full stop. And so maybe had I been not in jail, but maybe the touch with authority in a negative way, as in coming to their attention, maybe would that have sped up my sobriety uh, initially and then my recovery? Having said that, Everything happens for a reason. And the, the problem with us bloody addicts is that for alcoholics, for example, 95% of us will swear by the grave of our mother that there's absolutely nothing wrong with us because there's denial for such a long time. Was that with you? When you go back, I mean, the, 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 the cage questions. Um, cage questions is something that we doctors use to, to gauge is someone an alcoholic? So the first question is, you know, have you ever thought about cutting that you need to cut down? Second one is, uh, are you getting angry when someone tells you that you're drinking too much? Do you feel guilty of drinking too much? And E is an eye opener. 
do you need from now and then alcohol in the morning to actually steady your nerves or or calm down the hangover, etc. Cage. Um, how were you? How would you have responded to them? Let's say in your heydays, was there an insight? Because yeah, so you were talking you, shame and guilt. You went down that list for me. What came up for me was. Um, Yes, that, yes, 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 well, <laughs> yes. Well, yes, yes, and a couple maybes. Um, uh, that you know, I um, God, I I just thought I I'm trying to think here. Da, 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 da. Well, obviously, so I remember I quit on my own. I quit for Lent. You know, for forty days I was going to quit. Right? Are you and religious? I did, did, no, did I'm, you... I grew I, I grew up Catholic. Mm, okay. And, and, and I thought, okay, here comes Lent. I'll, I'll quit for 40 days. And what happened at the end of the 40 days is I go, you know what? I'm not going to quit drinking. I'm just going to quit Lent. And so I, I stopped doing Lent from that then on. And, and, and during, that four, during that four days in Mardi Gras, Stefan, after being in jail for twice in 24 hours, I was smoking Marlboro Reds. It's the only time I smoked in my life for those four days. And so when I got back home and I, I reevaluated what happened, I go, what was the one thing that was off? And I, oh, I took up smoking. So I didn't quit drinking. I quit smoking. I'm just telling you, I, 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 I was the great manipulator of my own life. Every time I got to a Y on the road, it was everything else but what you're but drinking and drugging. Excellent. Yes. Oh, excellent. Yes. Until <laughs> until I ran out of excuses. And, and what I will have, and, and here's really, and I, I have to share this with your listeners and viewers, Stefan, but here, here's what I call a God shot. So I got arrested two more times. Once for being in an airport with 50 pounds of pot. I get in front of the judge. Because oh, that's all because for my, myself. Sorry. That is all just, you know, that's what I use on the weekend. Um. <laughs> well, and, and again, my, my, my entrepreneurship had, had grown. <laughs> it, 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 you know, so, so I get busted in, in the airport. And I get in front of the judge and he says to me exactly what you asked me. Son, you're this good kid from a good family. What happened? And I say, I don't know. And he says, well, here's what I do know. If I see you in my courtroom in the next six months, I'm going to give you the five years of prison hanging over your head. 18 days later, I'm driving my little sports car. I've licked my wounds. I have a couple moosehead uh, beers in me. I've, got a, I've smoked a couple of joints, and I have a couple bindles of Coke in my pocket. And I go to the party of the year. Now, by this time, Stefan... My high school friends, those five friends, had left me. They didn't want to see me anymore. I was not the guy they grew up with. My college friends, who who, had, who were my fraternity brothers through thick and thin, they didn't want anything for me. And when those guys let go of you, you know you're in trouble because hmm. they're animals. And then, so I was going to a party a year where I didn't know anybody. But I walk in, and within 10 minutes, a good-looking guy like you comes up to me and goes, hey, you got any blow on you? Hey, I'm a people, people pleaser. Let's go. We go back down the stairs. We go into my little Alfa Romeo. I pull out my Duran Duran CD case. You know, they, they were cool, right, back in the day. Um, and I put out a couple of lines of Coke, and I put it in front of him. And guess what he does? He puts out a badge of the San Diego Police Department. Exactly. I saw that coming a mile away, wasn't it? Oh, shit. Well, no, actually, not shit. Brilliant. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. Um, was he was he aware who you were? No. So it was not a sting 
uh, set up no. for you now. So you well, were not I, at I that think level. He, I think he just saw that, you know, I was by myself. I, I, I was whacked out, you know, mm. and he thought he was probably take a good crack at it and see what would happen. Yeah. And then seven, here's, here's what I want to, that, that, that was part of it, but here's the God shot. So in long and short of it, I'm in my jail cell the morning after and from the jail cell, I hear this voice in the corner and it says, Greg, there's a better way. Greg, there's a better way. I'm looking around. There's no one else in my cell. There's no officer talking to me. It's just a voice that I hear that I hear kind of like uh, uh, Morgan Freeman and Shawshank Redemption, mm. you know? Um, and I sit up and I look around and it says, call your mother. Same voice, call your mother. I'm not going to call my mother. I'm, I'm about to serve five years in prison. But I call my mother and she says this, Gregory, because all moms call you by their full name, right? Gregory, <laughs> I, I want you to go to church. You want me to go to church? She goes, yeah, I want you to go to church. I go, okay. So I get home. I look up a, a, a Catholic mass. There happens to be one at six o'clock. I go. And after the mass, the priest says, hey, tonight we're going to do confession. I have three rooms over here and I have three rooms over here. Pick one and, and, and go in, especially for those folks who haven't done it in years. And I'm like, well, he's talking to me. <laughs> and so I pick door number two, Stefan, and I walk in. And it's not like the movies with the screen, you know, where you kind of, it, it's literally, it's like me talking to you and you talking to me. It's, it's a guy in a chair with a white cloak. He had white hair, look like, look like Ronald Reagan. And he had laser blue eyes. And in his Irish accent, he says, son, take a seat. And so I take a seat and he says, tell me your sins. And, and, and I know this is a, a, a long story, Stefan, but trust me, it is, it is, it is how I am sober today. This is, Ground zero. I say to him, Father, when I smoke a lot of pot, I show up on Christmas on December 27th. When I drink a lot, I go into bars and I hurt people. When I do a lot of cocaine, I date three women at the same time and they have no idea. And when I do all three, I fly large amounts of marijuana to the East Coast. And he goes, stop, 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 stop. And the question you just asked me five minutes ago, he asked me, he goes, do you think you have a problem with drugs and alcohol? And I said, no. And then he gave me that great doctor look, that great sponsor look, that great mentor look that, that those men will, will do across the table that says, you're full of shit. You better tell me the truth. And I said, you know what, Father? You're the second man in my life to ever ask me that question. He goes, well, who was the first? I said, my stepfather. And he goes, what was your stepfather's name? I said, Walt Janicki. Priest reaches over grabs my hand firmly and says, I was Walt Janicki's first sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Me. Fuck me. It's right. <laughs> so I sat there. I sat there and he, I'm telling you, this guy was a beautiful older man, lightning blue eyes. He looked around and he goes, listen, your sins don't belong here. They belong four, four blocks up at the Alano Club, and there happens to be an A meeting starting at 7.30, and I think you should go. And Stefan, that was 11-7-1994, and that is my sobriety date. Wow. 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 And how beautiful. 
how many lessons are in that little story? How many lessons? First of all, you would have never known. First of all, anyone out there who is struggling with, with drinking and full of shame and guilt. When I was there, I thought I'm the only one. No one is as bad as me. Uh, there's no help. There's no hope. There's no nothing. So I was just telling myself a hell of a lot of lies. Nowadays, I see how many of us are struggling and how many of us in a positive way have struggled, but have now transformed and are now men and women who are out there to share their stories, to help others, to be the mentors. Chemical addiction in New Zealand hits one in three. And um, United States, any Western world, it's pretty much the same, okay? One in three. So you really think that you're the only one who has invented that rush of dopamine that is washing over you and taking away all your frontal lobe and you're making you do things that you in, 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 in normal life would think, oh, you're kidding me. Um, yes, no, you're not the only one. And mm -hmm. all that shame and guilt bullshit, well, you can, yes, you are probably guilty of things that maybe you're not so proud of. And yes, maybe, maybe you might wish to, to rethink some of the things that you have done. But to now stand there with a nine, nine, how do you call these whips with nine things and uh, nails in it? That, uh, that one there. Just uh, self-flagellate yourself. That is the worst thing. Because this priest has picked it up and said, look, just take that little action. You've taken already one action. You've come in here, do confession. So, okay, now, you know, you've done it already. You've done one step. Why not go down there? So suddenly it was so beautiful by you realizing that maybe there is some hope out there. Maybe there is some help out there. You just were willing at the right time to give it a shot. No pun intended. Well, I was, I was at my rock bottom. Yeah. I was at my rock bottom. And, and, and so any suggestion and, and what, what's funny is, is when my mom and when my mom was raising me as a single mom before she met Walter, you know, she would, um, you know, after school, she would have the Mormons babysit me, this family called the Zollingers. They had seven kids. And she thought, OK, you'll be amongst the kids, you know, after school, you'll be taken care of. And so I had the, the Mormons were taking care of me. And then when my mom was out of town, this beautiful family, this Mexican-American family, the Sandoval's would take care of me, and they were Lutheran. So I would be hanging out with them in the Lutheran church. And then when my mom was in town, Stefan, she would take me to um, the Buddhist temple, and we got our mantras. And so I got my mantra at seven years old. And then here's, here's the fi finishing thing. She sent me off to Jewish summer camp. So, so she, she was, so when she says go to church, you can see she was always pointing me to some sort of religion. Oh, know, she was covering, was covering all her ways, you know? <laughs> all her way. Yes, yes, yes. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So intriguing because obviously God or Allah or whoever yeah. it was uh, did not touch you or if, if, they tried to touch you, your eyes were firmly closed uh, with regards to that. But then suddenly something somewhere changed. And you could argue that maybe all those seeds were planted and it, took, so. and it took you finally to, to reach rock bottom um, 
and you probably were at rock bottom for quite some time before finally you were able to actually let those seeds grow and grow strong enough to break through the the concrete literally that you had used as a mask here in front of you and wow what a story what a story but it's one thing to come to that point and realize where you truly are then the next step is to to believe okay there might be someone who can actually help you but then the real journey starts how was your first meeting well it's funny i wasn't it wasn't my first time exposed to alcoholics anonymous again my stepfather was was uh, brought 17 years of a sobriety into our house you know and this was a world war ii vet he was there on d-day in omaha beach wow. you know a uh, greatest generation um, and one of the reasons I think I went to the meeting was if if this priest, Father Bill, knew Walter, I had so much, so much respect for Walter that I was going to say, okay, he, he's basically telling me where to go. Um, the, the sad thing about Walter, uh, Stefan, is he, he, he retired at 65 and died of prostate cancer at 66. Oh, shit. Yeah. And, and a part of my chaos that, you, that we talked about, right, this, this rebel was literally, as soon as I got done putting him in the ground, I said, okay, here we go. You know, as soon as he was off the planet, I was gone. It literally is that time frame. I, I was not gonna screw up as long as Walter was on the planet, but as soon as he was in the ground, bam, off and running. And so to answer your question, my first meeting, I go and you know they circle up, they have these plastic, uh, birthday cakes they have this funny blue bible um uh, you know they got they got two more commandments than i'm used to you know and, and, and i'm just like and it's kind of a you know i didn't identify i didn't identify greg alcoholic addict i just identified greg you know and luckily i went and saw the priest the next day and he slowed things down for me and he says listen i, I i'm going to be your temporary sponsor I need you to do three things. Um, I need you to not drink or use no matter what. I need you to go to 90 meetings in 90 days. And I need you to take boxing lessons. Boxing lessons? He's like, yeah, because when you do the first two, you're going to have so much resentment and anger, you got to put it somewhere. And I did those three things. I didn't drink or use no matter what. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days, and I took up boxing lessons. And it got me in phenomenal shape. The combination of not drinking and doing boxing will rip you up quickly. And, and I just needed that, that, that contact. I mean, you, you rarely were sparring, you're doing drills, you know? But um, I certainly knew how to th throw a left hook. I knew how to jab. I mean, it was like, it was a good exercise. And so when I sponsor and mentor people, I say, you're not drinking or using no matter what, you're gonna go to 90 minutes and you're gonna do some form of exercise. I gotta get this endorphins out. You gotta sweat it out. And so I'm a big believer in that little, three-part three mantra. And that's very good. And again, that shows you what recovery is all about. Sobriety is actually just a tiny, teensy-weensy start. Mm -hmm. Whilst it looks like an insurmountable challenge for many people out there who are still drinking, it is, it is only the start. Because yeah, once you actually stop drinking, and once actually you start getting through the detox, 
the first week, two weeks where just all mayhem breaks loose because you're used to your alcohol. You're used to your to the drugs that you're taking. And now suddenly your body says, well, hang on, where are my drugs? Where's my alcohol? And so needless to say, you feel and, like And then crap. here comes the feelings. Oh, here comes yeah. The feelings. And, and, and when you're feeling, you're looking around going, okay, uh, I'm feeling something. And then mm-hmm. all your team is telling you, to, yeah, you're going to have to sit in these feelings. Exactly. You're going to have to sit in these feelings. And, and a lot of time, that's the first time in decades for people. And that is so scary. It's the most yep. hated session in the rehab that where I went through um, the 10 o'clock feeling session at every morning. And it was uh, brutal. And it is, and guys, don't, again, don't put yourself now again with the, the, the cat of nine, nine of cat, whatever it is, nine cats. <laughs> um, now, the, the, the point is we are, unfortunately, we are the, the victims of societal engineering. Uh, think about it, what happens when as a little child you fall over. Um, uh, will really your mother or whoever looks after you at that moment sit with you and said, it's okay. You just hurt your knee. Can you feel it? This is pain. And this is, this is, and you're sad. And that is absolutely all right. Can you feel it? Feel it. And that's normal what you're feeling. No. What do they say? They give you a hug. They give you the attention. Then they give you sweets. So you get a sugar rush and think, ooh, uh, yeah. pain. What shall I do? I take something that gives me a sugar rush. I like it. Thank you, mommy. Now I know where to go. And sweets are not enough. You know, you, you want to mature. So the alcohol comes in. Uh-huh. Are we on a track here? Yeah, we are. And it's that kind of, of societal engineering. We have lost the ability to talk about our feelings we men specifically are idiots when it comes to that and that's unfortunately related to our y chromosome um but it's also related to the way we bro- we were brought up when i say we we too are uh, children of the of the same generation so mm-hmm. therefore i i'm as guilty as charged as far as this macho macho is probably the best word actually macho behavior is concerned um it is. It's so funny when you say macho. The, the village people song "Macho Man" comes in my mind. Exactly. <laughs> but, the, <laughs> but then I think of YMCA, and I want to do yeah, funny yeah, things. Yeah. No, no, yeah. <laughs> we don't go there. We don't go there. That was the party time. That was. Yeah. <laughs> that was us at our worst. <laughs> yeah. No, I've, um, I guess what I'm saying is we have got the curse of our generation, that upbringing, and there's nothing we can do about it because our parents were trying to instill the best in us. I strongly believe that no parent wakes up one day and says, you know what? I really want to fuck up my child. Let's, let's see, let's see what we can do. No, parents will always try the best given with the facts that they have got with the circumstances they, they live in. You know, it is, if you're being brought up on the wrong side of the tracks and uh, violence is part of your life and a certain lifestyle is part of your life. Well, guess what? That's normal for you. And that's where you teach your children how to grow up in that setting. And maybe those core beliefs are uh, laid down and which maybe later don't suit you so well. And that is something that is happening. I'm so glad you're bringing this up, Doc, because I, what I can do is, you know, I'm a parent of three girls and, and, I, and, I, and I'll talk about some of the successes I've had parenting um, um, my daughters. But I look back at my own childhood. I was abandoned by my father. 
I was neglected by my mother. I was sexually abused as a kid. Um, and um, I was verbally abused by uh, my mom. And when you look at the psychology of that, guess what? I I'm destined to go do something to, to take those feelings away. Now, what I promised myself is when I'm a father, I'm not going to abandon my kids. I'm not going to neglect my kids. I'm not going to verbally abuse them. And I'm going to make damn sure they don't have any sexual trauma, you know, as, as far as my, my eagle eyes can, you know, can keep an eye on them. Now, two things in parenting, and I'm glad we're, we're talking about this. One is I, I live in a very um, affluent neighborhood where parents have kids as trophies where parents send their kids off to boarding schools, where parents have nannies raise their kids, right? And I'm just telling you, like, when I see good kids, it's because the parents are present. You're there at the soccer game. You're there on the ground. You're playing Legos, Twister. You're taking them on road trips. You're getting ice cream with them. You are parenting them. Number two, I have a very successful business mentor. He's got boats and cars and houses. And I once took him to dinner and I said, listen, what is your definition of success? And here's what he said, happy children. Damn. But I can tell you right now, without you telling me anything more about this person, that he feels guilty that he feels ashamed, um, that he feels worried, that he has not fulfilled that measure of success, that he is, otherwise he would have not said that. Uh, he, would have, he would have looked at his children as just something, you know, something like his boats or something like his cars. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the, the fate of all of us. And it's hard. I mean, for crying out loud, here you are, you want to define yourself in your workplace, you work long and hard hours, you're proud of who you are in that workplace, and you come home and you're naked. And then there's the alcohol there. So that gives you the second wind. But do you really want to play with your children? No. So it is very, very, very hard. It is what it is, though. We have it is we have done those things. Yes, you can make amends, but I think the best way of making amends and with your children is actually now to live, to do living amends, to actually yep. uh, live in such a way that you can be proud of and you accept the things that you have done. That is, that was the past. I've gone through this journey over the last two years because my youngest son, who started off 16, 17, uh, being increasingly outspoken and maybe to a degree hostile uh, with me. Um, he gave me broadsides where I just had to take them. And he was brutal in his honesty. And not that I've ever beaten them or anything like that, but he felt alone. He felt abandoned with me not being there for him. And I had to swallow that. And that was a big, hard, hard concrete pill um, that I had to get down. And I hated it, absolutely hated it. Um, I felt uh, it, was, it was a brutal time. Luckily, by continuing to live in a way that I can be proud of, um, he saw that too. And he saw that I'm nowadays a different man than I was then. 
And I think that is so important. How long have you been in recovery, Stefan? Eight years. Eight years. So it is, and yeah, the, and the first two were actually really beautiful from that point of view, because he, especially my youngest one, was still a little boy, well, kind of a little boy, just on a cusp to teenager. And so I started as being this artist. So we, we drove around on a Saturday morning to garage sales uh, in the neighborhood, trying to pick up some little things that we could turn into art or you know, stuff like that. So mm-hmm. we had never done that. So here we were on a Saturday morning, we became these hunters uh, together and we, we developed plans. And it was actually the most beautiful bonding time uh, that we had. And so I'm, I'm grateful, I'm, I'm happy and grateful that out of this darkness of my addiction came that, that beautiful sunrise of a new you relationship. Bring up a great point. You bring up a great point that, um, so in my office on my couch, I, I get men who come in, they're very successful men. Um, they, they come into my, uh, my uh, sober livings and I'm counseling them and they're like, and they have, they bring up the, the parenting issue. They bring up the kid issue. And what I will say to them, I said, Hey, listen, you need to start dating your kids. What do you mean? I need to start dating my kids. Uh-huh. I said, listen, you have these four kids and what you've done all your life with them is you, you take them to Hawaii and you take them to Aspen and they go to say, it's a pack of wolves traveling together. And what they all want is they want their dad to go, one wants to go to a museum, one wants to go snowboarding, one wants to go ride roller skates, and one wants to go surfing. You have to go do those four things with those individuals and date your kids. And what I will tell you, Stefan, and again, I don't have the degrees you do, but what I do is I send them out in the world, they try it and they come back and they go, it worked. My relationship got better. I go, of course it got better. They're seeing the time you're putting in. And so this dating of kids, this thing that, that I ask my men to do, it is it really does work. And when women sit on my couch, they'll say, Greg, I was a drunk mom. I wasn't there. I have so much shame. And I'll say, hey, I know a lot of drunk moms that are great sober grandmas. And what I do is I, is I say, hey, you go be a sober grandma and wait. You watch how your kids will react to you helping them raise their children. Hmm. And, and both those mechanisms, again, I'm not trained clinically. These are just life lessons I was able to watch, learn, and then ask my clients to go do. And I'm getting great feedback on both those things. Remember, drunk moms can be great sober grandmas. And so, Beautiful. you know, like I told you earlier, I'm a, I'm a walking billboard, you know, so. <laughs> Greg, you're, you're an amazing man. There's no two ways around that. And because you've, you've invested the energy that in the past you spent on drugs and on women, et cetera. Yeah, we have, yeah. like, the cool thing with both of us is we have done all that shit. Um, we have exactly, it is, it is, it is bizarre. I mean, sometimes my kids ask me questions, hey, uh, questions leading towards the, the question, you know, would you do it again? Uh, hey, would you would you like to have a drink now? Would you like to make love to that woman over there? Um, you know, these kind of things. And you probably could could put a naked woman on top of me and bind her to me and nothing much would happen regardless if she is a supermodel or what. Because now I've done all that. 
Thank you. No, this I know the, 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 the too complicated. Move away. Move away. It is. I much rather work on myself and work on on those things that are important to me right now, and that is really living a life so more Stephen, full of joy. When I got sober at twenty five, um, you know, there's not many other twenty five year olds getting sober. Uh, Touche. And, and 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 so. What I did is I came up with this shifting addiction to passion. And, and really, my friends would go out on Thursday nights. I would stay in, and I'd work on my scripts here in L.A. On Saturday mornings, I'd go into the office from 8 to noon, knowing that they're all hungover. <laughs> and I would, use those, I would use those hours from 8 to midnight, and then from 8 to noon for 52 weeks. And guess what? If anybody does eight extra hours of work, right, for 52 <laughs> weeks, you're going to have something done. You're going to have a script written. You're going to have a building built. You're going to have a, you know, a, a car show. You're going to have an art. You, you'll do something. You just those those hours because when we were chasing women and using, we those are all wasted wasted hours. Mm. And I always say the most precious commodity we have on earth is not oil, not gold, mm. not silver. It's time. Absolutely. It's time. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I, I think about like in terms of, um, you know, when I, when I coach young, young people, I say, look, you can go chase girls. Cause a lot of times my guys get sober and then they, they know they can't use drugs and alcohol, but then they try to go medicate with, right. And I really schooled them. I said, listen, guys, Take that energy. You're going to go chase all those girls around, right? And and guess what? They're, you're not going to have anything to show for it. You won't have a house in the hills. You won't have a nice car in the driveway. But if you took that energy and you put it towards a startup or towards a small business or some passion, you will have something worthy to show somebody versus just a couple of Saturday morning stories you, you tell guys because those stories get old. And I'll leave you with this, Stephen. You and I... We've lived two lives in one lifetime. <laughs> Touche. Very true. Very true. And it is the old life that gave me the scars. It also is the old life that gave me the first and the hunger to now live this new life. Yeah. That is the reason I got up this morning at six and to meet with you and actually to have that discussion, that interview. And it's that hunger, it's that thirst that keeps me going in a really beautiful way. Yesterday, someone asked me, oh, you should grow a beard again. Uh, looking at you here, Craig. Uh, and like my beard would be like your salt and pepper, and it's increasingly salt rather than pepper. Um, and I said, no, no, I had a beard. The moment I shaved that beard off, I felt 10 years younger. I don't want to be younger. But I want to maintain the energy level that I've got right now. And I don't want to be necessarily reminded of the darker old days, etc. Yeah. A beard, that was only another mask, really, for me. Mm -hmm. To be shaven today means for me, actually, this is me. This is me. Warts and all, wrinkles and everything, okay? These are all my battle scars, okay? And there's some real scars there. Okay, they are from battle and I've learned from it, okay? So I am nowadays, I'm ready. I'm ready for life. 
I'm ready to be fed, beautiful nutrition in the sense of mental nutrition. Like today, I opened up my feelings. I was honest. I was transparent. You humbled me. Um, you, all those feelings that washed over me in the last hour are gold, are absolute gold. And for that, I'm so grateful. So, Greg, this was an amazing interview. This was amazing brainstorming what we did here. And hopefully we've, we've, we've you know, dropped so many hints to people out there. Hey, there is a life waiting for you. And it's just, it is, it takes a tiny, tiny, tiny little step for you to start. And guess what? The moment you've taken the tiny step of admitting to yourself, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And maybe that's the first step. And then the next step is, well, actually, you know, knowing there is help out there. Oh, no one can help me. Well, actually, just just give it a shot. Just as much as last night you gave it a shot, the tequila or the whatever, whatever was your your bloody poison last night. That's cool. Give it a shot this morning and say, look, why don't I actually just go to my GP, my family physician? Um, I haven't got a GP. I have never seen a doctor. Cool. Find a family physician and uh, go out there and actually talk to people who are just taking you for who you are. And so... That, I mean, that you know, you go to your GP for crying out loud, you go to your doctor, that's nothing yeah. big. And maybe just say, hey, look, you know, and guess what? So the, you've already taken two, three steps there. Hey, you are actually walking without mm -hmm. actually knowing it. You're taking one step after the other. Now imagine, just imagine that all this pain, all this, this yearning in you, that you actually use that. You, all the pain, the darkness has pulled your bow all the way back. You are ready to take action. And now you just need to figure out, okay, where do you want to aim this, yes. this, this pain? Because you could aim it at the next bottle, fair call. And the only thing that happens is this bow will get stronger. Or you could actually aim it at just that, that maybe, that maybe that there is some help out there. That maybe there's some hope out there. Maybe that you deserve happiness. Because at some stage you think, nah, 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 you know, why me? Why me? Well, guess what? Your brain tells you, ah, oh, 20 reasons why you. And you think, oh, okay, now I know I'm, I, I'm, I haven't deserved to live. And you get all these shitty lies that alcoholism, addiction, PTSD, depression, they all lie to you. And it's so beautiful when someone actually pulls all those lies away from you and makes you realize there is a, such a beautiful world out there that is waiting for you to be explored, for you to leave your own legacy. And you think now, what the hell is he talking about? Wait and see, come onto this journey. And who knows, maybe you are the next Joe Rogan doing a podcast about your own recovery. Maybe you are someone who is going out there, guys, and taking this world by the balls and say, come on, let's let's make this world a better place. And please, guys. And Stefan, I think what I see in you um, on the other side of the world is what Brene Brown talks about. Vulnerability is your superpower. Right? And indeed, addiction is my superpower. Yeah. Um, that is my TED talk waiting. <laughs> so in the wings, exactly. Because there is there is so much there that we can 
model that where we can actually show by being transparent about our own struggles and about our own past, as well as our own presence, that we can uh, be the light in the darkness of someone else. And for, that is that is a legacy I want to, to to leave behind. I want to say on my deathbed, okay, I've I've given it my best shot. I've given it my best, and that's all you can you can ask for. But every day I've made choices that are leading me further down that path of success in all the dimensions of my life. Um, and with that, I don't mean wealth. I mean the success, however you define it. That might be a better relationship with your with your partner, a better relationship with your children, a better relationship with yourself. And these are the things that I'm working on every day. Greg, we too have had so many similarities. I think we need to do a DNA test. Honestly, yeah. there is. <laughs> <laughs> or or someone is playing a really interesting joke with us. If that is alive, there's God or the universe. I don't know. <laughs> you're a brother from a... <laughs> you're, 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 just, you're taking care of the Southern Hemisphere. And I'm taking care of the Northern Hemisphere. Oh, excellent, excellent. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why the planet's balanced. <laughs> <laughs> Divide and conquer. I love it. Divide Absolutely. and conquer, yeah. <laughs> oh, Craig Champion. You're an amazing man. Um, if people really gel with you and want to learn more about you, where can they find you? So there's a couple places. I, I'm really active on Instagram. You can find me at G-R-E-G-G. -G. I have two G's and then champion at Instagram. And I'm, I'm affiliated with two companies. I have the Recovery Playbook, which is what we talked about early on, about some of the life lessons that I learned along the way that can help you. Uh, and then last but not least, I, I am a partner with a company with Jeffrey Van and Patricia Myers. It's called Start Up Recovery. Um, and we are um, a luxury transitional living company. We really help people get back into their world of work, uh, school, or, or just becoming a good parent and, and a good human being. Mm. And our tagline feeds right into what Stefan and I were talking about, shifting addiction to passion, mm. becoming addicted to life and the passions that are around life and ultimately finding and what I feel is joy. Mm. Joy, joy by definition is a, is a an extension of happiness. And, and I really try to walk in the light of joy. And it's only by doing the work in all parts of my recovery, mm. uh, Stefan, that, uh, that, that, that I have found that. And, and I love what I do. I, uh, you know, my last name is champion. And, and a lot of when I was growing up, it's tough to live up to that. And then one day I looked at the definition of champion. And if you look at the second definition, not the one that says victor or winner, but the second one, it says someone who champions a cause or is a mentor. And so I truly believe I'm living into my name. And I want to say I am very thankful, appreciative and grateful for you giving me this time with a brand new audience down there in, in your neck of the woods. And I, I, I will help you build your, your, your show. So you can be the Joe Rogan of recovery. <laughs> and, uh, and I hope one day we do cross paths um, in, in, in person. And you certainly have an open invite to come see my, my beautiful uh, view here. And, and uh, you, you, you as well are a great man. And I, and I really honor you in terms of, of, of the show you put on and the people you help. And, and thank you for that. Cool guys. If 
two numbnuts like Greg and me can our can get our shit together. Come on, there must be a chance for you. Yeah, 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 honestly, yeah. let's be yeah. quite clear here. Yeah, yeah. That, so, that should be the title title of a book we co-write. <laughs> so, guys, go out there, take the first steps. Just believe us; it's a beautiful journey. We invite you along to come along. There is there is there are no ifs and buts, and there are there the it's a beautiful journey. So come along. And until we see you, and maybe one day we see you all in person or see you in uh, via Zoom somewhere. Well, until then, look after yourself and live with passion. Bye. Dream on.